0: Oh, hey there. Come on in. We're just about to start. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian, a fun weekly podcast about nutrition and healthy lifestyle. I'm Rob, and together with my wife, Sandra, we invite you to join us on this informative and entertaining journey through the complex
1: world of healthy eating. Join us each week as we strive to help you with transforming your overall health and relationship with food through up-to-date, evidence-based nutrition information. John's stories of cooking for over 150 different celebrities, including John Travolta, Meryl Street, Lyle Lovett, James Blunt, Alice Cooper, Tom Cochran, all the way to Twisted Sister will have you on the edge of your seat and help you understand the importance of feeding people in a nourished way.
2: Well, I don't know what triggered it for me, but I opened a little restaurant, and it was a small number of seats, I think 38 seats. I, I spent a lot of time in the dining room. I cooked their meal, and I get to go and see them. And I started to realize something triggered, and I realized that, you know, I'm cooking these people behind a glass wall quite often, and I don't get to see the dining room. And I don't get to see what they're experiencing other than... You know did you enjoy your meal kind of stuff but some something triggered that i think there was a younger family that were actually discussing their father's funeral that's a pretty important evening and i started to realize you know you look around the room there's people falling in love there's people maybe celebrating you know sudden their kid getting an award or graduating there's other people discussing their father's funeral you know, I'm I'm invited into their, their life for some pretty important occasions. I mean, I play into their life, whether I like it or not.
1: Food means so much more than just fuel for the body. John's caring and empathetic personality is a cherished bright star in the Homestyle Kitchen, where he customizes meals and snacks to match elderly residents' cultural roots and brings them back to the earlier warm memories of cooking with grandma. Food offers quality of life for people who may not know how to make tea and toast or remember a spouse's name or their former address. Familiar comfort foods can bring back tastes of yesteryears and bygone times. Some key lessons learned from talking with John is the importance of being patient, listening to people, and being flexible and resilient when it comes to creating magic in the kitchen. Tune in to this fascinating interview with one-of-a-kind culinary phenomenon, John DeBien.
0: Enjoying the show? You can help others find it and enjoy it too by giving us a five-star rating or review. If you feel like reaching out to us with a question or comment, you can send us an email at mywifetherd at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at mywifethedietitian.com, as well as our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. Welcome to My Wife the Dietitian. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Rob. How's it going?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. We've got uh, an exciting interview today.
1: Yeah. John, once a classically trained award-winning chef who had the ego, he says, to match Gordon Ramsey... John recognized his unique role and was humbled with the presence of various personalities, rock stars, and was touring with some, and has come to realize that feeding people is a unique and sacred privilege.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, really neat interview. Uh, John DeBien.
1: Yeah, John tells us stories of his culinary origins, which has led him to become a sought-after chef maestro to rock stars, and eventually a cooking master for residents in dementia care.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting journey, and it's a really interesting, well, multiple stories that John tells, but sort of the overall story of where he started to where he ended up and what he's doing now, it's it's fascinating and uh really enjoyed talking to John and and hearing all about this so
1: and thankfully you didn't have to cook any snakes for Alice Cooper (laughs) just regular food for him behind stage
0: there you go (laughs) so yeah stick around this is a really great interview and uh, I hope you enjoy it we'll be right back with John
1: Great. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on our show today. It's a real pleasure. We work together at one of the long-term care homes, and I'm so happy that you were receptive to this interview because every time I talk to you, oh my gosh, I learn so much. And you're such an exquisite chef. (laughs) And other just, people say weirdo,
2: but you can say, it yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay.
1: well, I just, I, the food I've tasted, your uh, delicious food. And I, you know, you're a wonderful chef and you cater so nicely to all our residents. And basically oh, we have so much information to share with our listeners today. And I want to there's a little bit about your background that is super interesting. And that's why I really wanted to get you on the show because I just, every time I talk to you, I just, it's incredible the things I learned. So anyways, uh, I think some of our listeners probably have parents or grandparents that maybe are in uh, retirement homes or long-term care or at home. And, you know, they're starting to get more frail and elderly and you know we want to make sure that uh, their nutrition stays up to par and that they can get the food and the um Nutrients they need to keep healthy, and that is something that you do so well for our residents because uh, you know Thank you're such you. a good chef. <laughs> well, but, they definitely okay.
2: don't. See, they don't seem to be losing weight. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> oh, <So> that's for <laughs> that's sure. That's a good test. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a good it measuring
2: too. stick for the elderly folks too, because I find, you know, when they lose their appetite, it's to me it signifies, you know, a little bit less joy in their life, and maybe not they're not feeling you know, they're losing their enthusiasm for life in general. So if I, if we, you know, keep their appetite entertained, I find they're much more sort of vibrant and, you know, in the moment and, you know, and enjoying their, their life.
1: Absolutely. Oh yeah, that is so true. And you know, yeah, with the loss of appetite there might be other things going on that, you know, that mm-hmm. we can't really help with food. But uh, you know, it always kind of is the first red flag, you know, like what's mm-hmm. going on? This person usually eats, you know, a full amount at meals and you know, and now they're not, but we're getting ready I want, I want you to tell the listeners, um, explain who you are and about the interesting people that you've worked for in the past and who are the people that you help now. And it's okay. all yours, John.
2: <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, so I've got 50 plus years experience in the business in all kinds of different ways. Uh, um, I trained originally, you know, in a steakhouse in Toronto back when I was in my 20s. And just by sheer fluke, I was given the opportunity to do a six-month desage, which is where they'll trade two young chefs. So somebody from New York traded for me, uh, and I got to do six months cooking in a really unusual, for the 70s, it was a fusion-style restaurant in Manhattan. so i got exposed you know i went from an old school steakhouse where everything was very traditional and i'm classically trained in french and italian food so you know very very traditional yeah yeah. um to a fusion restaurant that was owned by a persian family quite a well-to-do persian family that obviously had a lot of travel in their their history and uh, they brought it all into this little restaurant called the gourmet garage and I'd never heard of fusion. I don't think most of the people you know in my world have heard of fusion cooking in the 70s, but there it was. And so it opened my eyes to a lot of things and a lot of flavors and you know, just thinking and treating food and all the ingredients, you know very differently. Um, one of the things I learned from that was seasonal. Uh, so they had a seasonal menu. They didn't do a tomato salad in December because, those were imported tomatoes that were sort of mediocre or whatever, but when tomatoes were popping out of the dirt in August and July, you know, they were at their peak and they were spectacular and that's when they put them on the menu and
1: and that's what you do now, I know, with our residents, because you are definitely like just the foods that you cook uh, in spring, summer are much different than fall, winter in terms of the veggies and the, the stews in winter and the soups and the warm foods. Mm-hmm. And then the fresh like pulled carrots in the summer and, and the tomatoes, like you said, and the, the green peppers and all that is yeah. it's seasonal. Definitely. You you've taken that nugget for for your whole life it seems eh?
2: well absolutely and uh, but I find even in my own self you know I'm sort of eating stews all winter and then all of the first sign of spring I'm thinking oh my god where's my barbecue you know right Uh away my (laughs) my brain goes to god I'd like some ribs or a burger (laughs) or whatever and I I think we're all like that whether we realize it or not so yeah I tend to cook that seasonally still that, that way I just some of that is you know, I try to cook with passion, so my own my my own appetite sort of heads in those various directions in various seasons, and you know, I I think other people's whether they're conscious of it or not do as well.
0: Oh, for sure. I think our I think our brain is tied to you know, like you think barbecue, you always you obviously think summer, right? It's it's just kind of how we're wired. So food mm-hmm. definitely plays, in the smell of things. You know, if you smell a coconut, you think of the beach. Yeah, Hawaii, absolutely. Hawaiian Tropic, you know. It's it's yeah. funny how our brain works with, with food. It
2: is. And I, I think food is definitely – I always think of that scene in uh, Ratatouille, you know, where the food critic sits down and he orders the special and they bring him the ratatouille. And the little clip, you can see his mind. He goes right back to being a little boy, you know, fell off his bike, had an owie on his knee, goes into his mother's yeah. kitchen, and she cooks him ratatouille. And I think <gasps> food – and and it's comforting to him, you know. Yeah. And but I think it's as you know, much as that's a kid's cartoon, it really did, you know, a great display of how food is can be such a memory trigger. I quite often when when our um, when I get to particularly when I get to meet new residents or even the residents we have, you know, we get to hang out. If I cook right in the dining room with them, so this little tiny kitchen right in the same place where they watch TV and where they we have our dining room and um, you know they have other exercise and entertainment. So I'm I'm part of their whole day pretty much. And they're certainly part of mine. And I try to find out some of their, you know, sort of cultural background or or listen to things they're saying, you know, in a group or whatever. So you find out somebody's Ukrainian and you can, you know, maybe pop on some uh, you know, day where we can do pierogies and kubusa and you know, those red cab braised red cabbage and things like that. And again, yes. I get them if I can get them talking about it when I'm making it, or because they usually come sauntering over to the kitchen and, you know, poke around and ask me questions or just hang out with me a little bit. And, you know, if I can get them talking about food, I see that it triggers other memories for them. They'll just start to ramble like I'm doing right now, maybe, you know, about, <laughs> oh, yeah, my mom used to, my grandmother used to do that. And sometimes we'd spend all day making cabbage rolls and things like that. So,
0: I it's it's amazing that. how many how many people's memories are tied to food. As far as uh, like their stories of their grandmother or something, it's mm-hmm. it's often a story revolving around food, Almost you always, made together. Yeah. yeah, right. It's it's amazing.
2: Well, I think grandma was grounded in the kitchen. I mean, you know, a lot of them were well, still pumping true. water, water from a well, and <laughs> you know, and and picking the garden the out of their garden. And so, you know, it's you got, you know, you could sort of capture grandma, or she could capture you for an hour. In her environment, you know, in her yeah. in zone and her area where that she knew it from head to toe. True. Yeah. It was, There's probably no more comforting a place for a lot of children than to be in either their parents' kitchen or their grandparents' kitchen.
0: Oh, for sure.
2: So well, I that- get the privilege of being that, you know, a part of the resident's day that really does, I think, you know, I sort of get as much from it as they do from being able to, you know, direct my cooking towards their... I don't know if I could say wishes because I don't think they're always as conscious, you know, sure, of, yeah, of what their wishes are, but certainly feed that part for them that that part of their brain, and
0: well, it allows you, you know. to make uh, make a connection with them, right and and yeah, a
2: contribution for sure,
0: yeah, you can sort of see if it's uh, if it's hitting home or not. Mm
1: -hmm. And I just, I love that perspective, John. I I just like your mindset, just in the way that you are giving, like you are there to give back to the residents. And you've said to me, like, this is just like as if it it was my own grandparent or my own Mm -hmm. parent. And I, you know, I want to give them the best food that I can offer and I you know I I want to feel good when I'm making the food I want Mm -hmm. to so like you're feeding them plus you're feeding their soul you know and you're taking into their preferences and and the variety and all like even if they need texture modification because of uh, you know teeth problems or if they need Mm -hmm. finger foods because they're not able to handle the cutlery or whatever it is you take Mm -hmm. all that into consideration and you just make Make the best food with the best flavor for for their um, <laughs> own, you know, uh, experience. Someone in the background there. So,
2: like. Yeah, that's. I have a, I have a four and a half year old. They're right. so. <laughs> okay. having fun.
1: Oh my goodness! I'm wow.
2: Four doors away and the door closed, and you're still yeah, here. Right. So. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, I I would love to hear. um, I think, Rob, I've told you a little bit about John's background in feeding the different rock stars and people in the music industry. And it's just like the stories you have are incredible. Did that come out of your
0: gig in New York, working at that restaurant in New York?
2: No, strangely, it kind of came out of nowhere because uh, I was doing a little, I was visiting a friend of mine's restaurant in Vancouver, and this would have been, let's see if I can get the decade right anyway, in the 90s, (laughs) I'll say. Okay, yeah. And John Travolta was in the dining room with his little entourage, and he asked if they could do table side, which means, you know, you bring out a Caesar salad cart and make a salad table and, you know, bring out the flambe cart and do Steak Diane or whatever. Right. Bananas flambe or whatever. So nobody, I guess... You know, I I was a little bit older than most of the guys in the kitchen other than my friend who owned it. And nobody there really wanted to do that. And because of my formal training in a steakhouse, I thought, well, hey, shit, I haven't done this in a long time. So, yeah, I'll do that. And so, again, now, so now, you know, poor John Travolta and his team, you know, are kind of stuck with me. I'm at their table all evening because they want three (laughs) courses. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: lucky you. That's cool.
2: Yeah, it was lucky for me. You know, not so much maybe, but they ate well. Uh, anyway, and we got chatting and you know, John is one was one of those people that was just very inclusive. So you know, I almost I, although I was uncomfortable and didn't feel you know necessarily in my place, he was very warm they were very uh, warming to me and you know included me in conversation and jokes and whatnot. So uh, it was a nice evening, and I, I think I do remember the menu. They had a tableside Caesar. Uh, steak Diane, and then um, like a banana's flambe with rum and, you know, over ice cream, that kind
0: of thing. It sounds like what what we had for dinner last night, hey, Sandra? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah Just like sure. it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah just <laughs> like I, I – we, we didn't have a lot of time, so we just whipped something up like that. Yeah, you flip yeah, – yeah, you <laughs>
2: put it on together. But you, sometimes you just got to do that. Get a, exactly, you know, a Lipton's bananas Flambe out and add the yep.
0: water. Yeah, exactly.
2: Right. You got it. So, <laughs> skip ahead now. This is the '90s, right? So I think about you know the business. His manager was there and gave me a business card and said, "Hey, is it okay if we call you?" Because they found out I was on Vancouver Island and John Travolta flies to the island. So, is, you know, is it okay if we contact you if you you know comes to the island? I go, sure, of course. So. Uh, I don't know how much, how long, much longer, maybe four or five years, something like that. I get a fax, which is what we did back in those days, mm-hmm. and say, like, "Hey, John's going to be in town such and such a day," and blah blah blah. And I did, and I cooked for him at a, at one of his friend's house. I cooked a little dinner party there, and then again, nothing for maybe another month and or two months, and then out of the blue, because they all have the same or a lot of them go into the same umbrella management companies? Mm-hmm. Like they they have um, he, uh, what do you call them, talent managers? You know, all yeah. talk to each other. Sure. Um, I started to get the, this uh, this fax is hey, I think the first one was I think Lyle Lovitz is going to be in town. He's doing a concert. Would you be interested in cooking for that? And I thought sure that'd be cool. Um, and then they then they just started to fly in. After that, there was 158 different artists that I cooked for. Wow. It eventually led to, hey, you know, we're going to go on tour for 14 days. How do you feel about traveling with us? And, you know, sort of be in in 10 cities in 14 days and yada, yada. And to be honest with you, I knew a lot about food and cooking. I don't know anything about charging for something like that. I'm sure I undervalued myself in the beginning. And, you know, it was just pretty delightful to go and do it so
0: oh yeah
1: and just like how you actually had to I remember you're saying you were on like the back of a like you had no facility like no kitchen (laughs) no it's it's,
2: true yeah I think one of the uh, actually Lyle Lovitz was probably the first or James Blunt maybe was the first one that you know I realized holy I like I got to the site with all my gear and realized oh no kitchen really so you know (laughs) Head out to Canadian Tire, buy a crockpot, a rice cooker, <laughs> you know, and three, can- three butane camp burners. Yeah, yeah. And I'm on a loading dock with it sort of snow raining, you know, on, on me. Yeah, it was the real think on your feet kind of thing.
1: Totally. That's awesome.
2: And so, when, awesome. I do, and so when I do the tours, you know, so sometimes I'd be in an entirely different province or state, and I'd pack camp burners and all that stuff just in case, and then I'd camp pack my traditional... You know, equipment. If assuming that I would be in a kitchen, you know, in, when I got there, kind of deal. And tour managers aren't always they don't they don't know how my end of the business works. They re- it's all magic to them. They don't know.
0: Yeah, so, right.
2: You know, you end up at one place and it's a hockey arena, and you're cooking on a loading dock, and the next time you're at, <laughs> you know, a, a, a coliseum that you know has a commercial kitchen they don't really give you any warning <laughs> like even, if you, <laughs> even if you ask them you know like okay so what am I looking at when I get there you know yeah um, okay we'll get back to you no they don't
0: yeah. that's you not on their radar they're only
2: kidding apparently when they say that yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah so you think so you just think on your feet and here this this may have been uh I don't know I don't think I would of course I wasn't aware at the time but this is probably the best trading I had to uh, that I've been able to bring forward and use today, working in the environment that I'm working with seniors. I'm cooking in a green room, or certainly, uh, even if I'm cooking on a loading dock, you know, I'm assembling things and whatnot right in the green room where the artists are hanging out. That's and at cool. first, because my background was kind of formal, I, I took a very formal approach to it. But you know, when you're on the third day of the tour with them, whether it, like Cheap Trick or somebody like that, you know, they're very relaxed, chill people. And so they're including you in conversations, and uh, like I say, the first day it's a bit intimidating. The second day, you know, quite often I'm cooking thirty meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because they've got crew and whatnot that I'm cooking for as well. But by the by, day two or three, you're sort of just like you're like their mom on the road, really. I mean, they're starting <laughs> to say, "Hey, do you ever make chocolate chip cookies?" You know, or yeah, you funny. know, uh, "Can you cook Italian or whatever?" So part of my thing got to be. Uh, I would, right when I would first get contacted by artists or by their managers, I would say, you know, we'd establish what their budget was or if there was vegans, vegetarians, or, you know, dietary things, which nowadays, by the way, there are one bazillion, you know, numbers of diets from keto to, you know, nothing but boiled chicken. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: And so once I established that, then I'd sort of wrap my head around you know, what I need to do and what I need to charge. And then I'd say, okay, well, you could just pick pick a country for each day and we'll we, we'll cook because I ha- I've had the benefit of being able to do quite a bit of traveling. And I can cook a lot of different nationalities. So, you know, it kept cool. it interesting for me. Totally. Uh, some days it was like, you know, Mexican for lunch and dinner and the next day you're doing traditional French and the next day you're doing Korean barbecue. And, you know, it was, it was pretty fun. That sounds awesome. So I get to bring that. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. So I kind of think on my feet a little bit at work. So we have a menu that uh, you know has been worked on by some of the previous cooks and by Sandra, a nutritionist, to establish you know they're rating all the right food groups and you know giving them balanced meals. But we do have a little bit of leverage as to you know if we know it's chicken broccoli, you know this and that. We do have a little bit of leverage of how we prepare that. So my idea of, you know, a chicken broccoli casserole may be entirely different than a chicken you know, than another kitchen's version of that.
1: Totally mm-hmm. so true.
2: As I get to know the residents where I work, uh, same as I get to know Alice Cooper or whomever, you know, I start to understand what their preferences are. So really, you could take chicken and broccoli and stick it in a burrito, or you could do it. You know, or you could turn it into a stew or a casserole or, you know, a million different ways of doing it.
0: Totally. Or, or live um, snakes, as far as Alice Kipper's preferences uh, Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> away
2: right? from the snake thing. The yeah. little snake yeah.
0: burrito. And,
2: and, you know, actually a funny story about that, but actually he, we're, we were sitting, I can't remember where, oh, there was a bunch of, someone mentioned that when we were in the green room. I, I think it was somebody from Trooper or something had just come in, you know, just popped into the green room to say Hi. And mentioned, uh, and they sort of joked with me. He said uh, uh, something about you, you know, that I had a tough job living up to cooking exotic pets or uh, something, yeah. you know, for Alice. And Alice, <laughs> Alice, said that everything I cooked tasted better than a live snake.
0: Oh, oh thought, my what God. A, There you go, what a
2: lovely compliment. <laughs> That's the ultimate <laughs> That's compliment. God. Yeah, you don't have to write that down, Alice. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep. We'll just leave that in this room.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
1: And you were saying that um, Twisted Sister—they really like Szechuan. That was their thing, eh?
2: Yeah, I did. I, we were at a festival up in, I think, Prince somewhere, Port. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, but it was—I um, was cooking out of a trailer, and there was a lot of different artists there. Uh, there was a young lady who had one New Zealand's Got Talent, and she did this really cool Maori version uh maori music integrated into hip-hop
0: oh so cool it
2: was kind of a fusion thing totally. and so she was on the, there was four different stages in this campground so there was like a dj one and you know rock one and hip-hop one and all that and so which his named snyder the lead singer of uh twister snyder and, wasn't her yeah, d snyder yeah, yeah yeah who by the way Is built like Arnold Schwarzenegger
0: or Schwarzenegger,
2: whatever his dagger. So I've never seen it. When he took his shirt off on stage, I thought he was wearing one of those fake t-shirts you you can put on so you look like I got a six-pack. Like I've never seen anybody (laughs) built like this in my life. Anyways, that's another story. But so uh, this um, young lady was performing on her stage with her hip-hop Maori stuff. Um, and it was another band just before that, I think, that got Dee Snyder's attention that was called um, Dublin to Delhi. And they were half of an Irish band and yeah. half of an East Indian band. Nice. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're really talented.
0: I bet. Yeah, that's neat. And
2: so they they do this sort of Indian traditional music. But again, it's more sort of fused into um, U2 kind of style music. It was really very cool. Oh, interesting. So, d Snyder got they got his attention sorry that's my daughter (laughs) and he was like really enjoying their show and then by and he was told you know he's told hey you should see this band and just after that um the young lady from new zealand got on stage and she had a little one-year-old uh with her her daughter and so she was not strapped to her back she had to hand her off to somebody so she handed her off to me So I was just hanging on to her daughter, and Dee Schneider is sort of right beside me, and he's watching her show, and he's really kind of blown away. And then I think, holy shit, this isn't very good. I got a baby on my back. I got to go cook. (laughs) I just let the girl's manager know, look, the baby's with me. I'll be in the trailer because everybody wants to eat, and I got to make this happen. That's funny. At the end of the show, they came to the trailer. I'd already served, I think, crispy ginger beef a meal before to Dee. Snyder I think when that was maybe their landing meal or something when they arrived and so they ended up in my trailer and he was like you teach me how to make that so now Hmm. I was cooking meals for I don't know 80 people uh, that was an entirely different menu, and teaching them how to do crispy ginger beef (laughs) with the uh, singer from New Zealand and with her baby strapped to my back so now because (laughs) you know they're shooting I'm shooting flames in this trailer so I'm standing back and telling them what to do. It was a, yeah, that was an interesting couple of moments there.
0: No doubt. Good
2: news, nobody died. You know, everybody ate.
0: That's yeah. too funny.
2: The baby grew up to be somewhat normal, you know?
0: Yeah, in that yeah. environment even, right? Oh, my yeah. God. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. Like, just with watching you cook in the place that you work with the residents it's a home style kitchen where mm-hmm. the residents can visually see you cooking they can smell your delicious oh, food yeah. cooking you know it's amazing because i think it's so different than a lot of the other there's a lot of long term care places where The the kitchen is kind of like hospital style kitchen, like it's Mm -hmm. facility style where it's like no one can go in. It's like locked and you know, residents definitely can't go into the kitchen. But this place it's so nice because people can watch you cook. They can smell the food. They can it actually helps with their appetite because they're watching for sure and the aroma and just you're and you're so friendly and just chatting with them. You're not like, you know, trying to like get away from them or or you know, like not Some people all. would be no. like, I just do my job. I don't want anyone talking to me. And I mean, that's fine. And if that's the way you are, you wouldn't thrive in an environment in this kitchen like you do, because it's such a perfect atmosphere for the style of cooking with your history of like, you know, having all these uh, different people kind of interacting with you as you're cooking. And I think it's like you are thinking on your feet constantly. It's it's amazing.
2: Well, it's honestly, and I'm not saying this for any other reason other than it's true, but it really is, you know, I, I think when I was a younger chef, you know, I got an ego. You start to win a couple of awards, and all of a sudden you get this ego. And then you get put into positions maybe in kitchens where you've got a lot of cooks and chefs, and young, you know, maybe a lot of them younger or less experienced. And, you know, there's always this drive from the accountant, you know, to make sure you're running your costs as well. So you've got a fair amount of pressure. And I won't say that I was ever... A Gord Ramsay, but I might have been close, you know, when I mm-hmm. was 30 something, you know, I had an ego and I had a lot of pressure and, you know, I had a lot to prove to the world or whatever. Well, at some point you kind of get over that. You just realize that, well, I don't know what triggered it for me, but I think, look, I opened a little restaurant maybe. So I was about 35 or 38 or something like that. And it was very intimate. It was a small number of seats, I think 38 seats. I, I spent a lot of time in the dining room. I cooked their meal, and I get to go out and see them. You know, not every customer, but as many as I could. And I started to realize something triggered, and I realized that, you know, I'm cooking these people behind a glass wall quite often, and I don't get to see the dining room. I don't get to you can see what they're experiencing other than, you know, did you enjoy your meal kind of stuff. But some something triggered that I think there was a younger or or a family, maybe not younger, but younger than I am now for sure, that were actually discussing their father's uh, funeral. So that's a pretty important evening. And I started to realize how I, you know, you look around the room, there's people falling in love. There's people maybe celebrating, you know, their kid getting an award or graduating. There's other people discussing their father's funeral. I mean, I play into their life, whether I like it or not.
0: Mm -hmm, You know, I'm,
2: I'm invited into their, their life for some pretty important occasions. And that can be as simple as finally being able to scrap, you know, $50 together to go out and get a babysitter and go out for the first meal, you know, since the baby's been born with your wife. So I don't know. I think that changed everything for me, that little era where I started to realize that there was a quite a bit of privilege and responsibility in what I was doing. And it really wasn't just all about me and my food and my ideas and woohoo, look at me, you know, Mm. that it was really much bigger than that. Yeah. And then once you know that it's only willful ignorance that allows you to go in and just do your job, you know, after that, you can't say, well, just slap this together, and get it over the counter. You know, You, you, you just can't.
0: Yeah, so. cuz most people you think like I I've, I've never thought of that before but going to a restaurant it's it's never just because you're hungry. You're I mean sometimes I guess, but to a nice yeah, restaurant. McDonald's.
2: It, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: But a nice restaurant it's a special event. You're right. I mean you're going for a graduation or a first date or a, uh an anniversary yep. or birthday or and yeah, the, you're you're part of that celebration <laughs> like you said whether you want to be or not. So Mhm recognizing that uh yeah that's that's good yeah
2: so i get to bring that forward and that's what i get to use now you know i think my wife thinks that i actually go to adult old (laughs) daycare because i love what i do (laughs) it gets me out of her hair for eight hours a day Uh, and i get i get to diddle around the kitchen you know hanging out with a bunch of friendly old people yeah yeah so kind of and you know what they pay me now so it's it's kind of a bonus (laughs) that is a bonus right right. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hear some of the best stories from the residents as well.
0: Well, when you bring you it know. out, I mean, you, people all have stories. You just got to figure out how to get them talking, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and and honestly, the people that I work with, I think I am mean, happen to be in one of those very unique places where um, the amount of talent in the room, I mean, you know, they have a lot of tasks that they have to perform. Right. You know, from hygiene to You know, all the stuff that you have to do working with seniors that have, you know, dementia. Yet they do it with such grace and such humility. It's it's almost like a great big family. I think the physical environment, physical plant with the dining room and recreation room and kitchen all being one big space, you know, really helps, you know, really allows that vibe to sort of happen.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: But, you know, I learned from those people that I work with as well. And then again, oh, see, here I am. So I'm in my, you know, late 60s. And I'm realizing that probably these people, we call it dementia. The, the care home that I'm in is, at the, is sort of for the early stages of dementia. It's not so severe. And uh, there's another level of care that they will need if, when, if and when they get to that stage. But right. the level that I'm in, these people are living right in the moment. They are super intelligent. They you can put a song on from the 1940s. They'll know every word and they'll remember all kinds of, you know, major news events. And you know, they, they grew up during the war, or, you know, all the business. They know all that stuff. They do not necessarily know what happened 15 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. That's where the short-term memory loss, you know, sort of thing happens. But they live so in the moment, and I often think. Uh, they're in a loving environment with these really wonderful workers that I work with. Everybody, I don't feel like anybody's there just to collect a check. And I wonder when I watch them all day, I I often think like what portion of their life would I believe that they got to smile, laugh, you know, enjoy, have, you know, positive hugging and emotional support and all that sort of stuff. Like I, I, there's really not a, Maybe a few moments for some of the people that deal with, you know, a bit more in the depression and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, there's no portion of their life, I don't think, where they've ever been as happy as they are now.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You know, wow. That's, that's cool.
2: pretty cool to be part of that. And, totally. you know, sometimes I remind the residents of that as well, you know, the that if you think about it, because occasionally they... You know, they miss being in their own home or their own, you know, they can't necessarily place the timing on, you know, they miss their dog and where's their husband and all that. And, you know, I, I again, because of the physical plant that I'm in, I'm I'm right there with them. So I can kind of remind them that, you know, you, what portion of your life do you ever not have to worry about money, groceries, getting dinner on the table, you know, all these stresses that you had through, through your life. And now you're at a stage where really you just get to enjoy the best of everything. Someone's going to do your laundry, you know, your meal's coming and you've got people caring for, you know, all the little details that really were pretty cumbersome in the rest of your life and took up so much of your time. You know, now you get to make time for, you know, conversation and talk about things you like to talk about and that yeah. sort of stuff. So. Yeah, you know what true. I think
1: of, uh, like you're saying here, I think of a, uh, For instance, a little old Italian lady who has been the cook and the, you know, chief bottle washer in her house right. for, for how many, like, you know, kids and older kids and then adults, like her kids have grown up and then their kids are grandkids, great grandkids. And th- mm-hmm. she's always like set the table and done all the meals. And then now she's in, you know, she's admitted to uh, this care home and it's a little bit of adjustment because for her, it's like her identity was tied to the you know, act of giving with food. Of
2: course. Yeah.
1: And so that's a bit tricky. I I bet, like, I mean, I, I think there's like they do activities where there's baking and stuff like that. But uh, I I wonder like, what do you see with people that are kind of um, having to make that transition in their life at this stage?
2: Well, we we do have, um, and you know, it changes from time to time who it is, but you know, I do have quite a few coming to me in, in the kitchen or to the kitchen. And, you know, is there anything I can help you with and this and that? And, you know, what I try to do is um, because it wouldn't be safe, first of all. Uh, I've got a lot of, you know, I've got two ovens and four burners and dishwasher and, you know, I make a bit of a mess when I'm slicing and dicing. So <laughs> I can't really have them in the kitchen, but I get them to share their ideas with me about food. So they stand on the other side of the counter. And, you know, they'll say, oh, can I help you with something? And I say, uh, I think I'm okay right now, but, you know, what was your favorite thing to cook? And then we'll get talking about it. And
1: I love I it. It's smart. Oh, I love that idea.
2: Well, I also, it's a great way of stealing recipes, just so you know, it, you know <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the kudos, but probably some of my best recipes come from, you know, older folks that really knew how to cook. That's totally. So, so they get to talk about it. I'm slicing and dicing. They're talking about it. They can smell the smells that are coming out of the kitchen. And so I feel like maybe they are, you know, by the end of that conversation, you know, they are feeling like they have been a part of it. Mm -hmm. And like we had uh, an older lady of German descent and as her dementia increased – you know, things got a little rougher for her and she really became a little bit more lost. And so we knew we were going to lose this lady to go to the next level of care. And her daughter, a couple of her daughters were really good about coming in all the time. So this lady was having a particularly difficult day and her daughter came in to sit with her and you know, sort of comforter. And so I asked her, what's, you know, what's your mom's favorite dish? Because if nothing else, I wanted to make sure. Again, I know they won't remember it and it really doesn't matter to me if they do or they don't. But I'd sure like to put a smile on their face. If I can, you know, they're living in the present and I can if I can give them something that triggers a memory or makes them smile, then that's the bonus for me. For sure. So it turned out she liked, um, there's a German plum cake, if I looked it up, the name goes on forever and it has a bunch of Z's in it. So I don't know what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I looked it up, found it, and it had a bunch of Z's in it. Sure enough, I found the recipe and it was plum season. So I was able to make um, plum cake, German plum cake for dinner. And I invited the daughter. I said, you know, if you maybe if you're able to come back because she lives fairly close, you know, come back and maybe the next day and I'll, I'll set you up a little table where you can have tea with your mom and have the cake again because – you know, can't really stay for dinner while the there's the other fifteen residents. You know, there's a there's a lot of organizing to go on with them. Yes. So sure enough, she did, and that that day, the mum was taken to the next level of care. So, you know, again, it makes me feel pretty good that I got to do that. And you know, the daughter came in while they were packing up the mum's room to take her to the next level of care. And you know, I set up a little area where they could have tea in a couple of fancy teacups and uh, the German plum cake. Again, it doesn't really matter to me that they won't. Rem- the mother won't remember that. She, you know, she's sure they chatted. The mother talked away in German, and I have no idea what they were talking about. Um, but they chatted, and they had a tea party, you know, for a half an hour or 40 minutes or something like that. Nice. And I got to be a part of that.
0: Right on.
1: What a privilege, eh? Like the, those special moments that you know, mm. like you're you're offering them comfort and some you know memories of the past, and you get to be a part of that you know that moment for them. Oh, that's amazing, John. I just love that. Oh, my
2: God. Well, again, it is a privilege, right? And I now know yeah. how to make German. I know how to make German plum cake. <laughs> there so you know. you go. <laughs> I mean, I'm not <laughs> bragging or anything, but I did steal another recipe. I actually, <laughs> <That's awesome.
0: laughs> so what's what's the craziest request you've ever got food wise uh, i've seen some of those crazy riders well you know like smile yeah, the no,
2: green, all, no green no green m ms you hear it all but i didn't i didn't get a lot of it i think with disney I, I did a production or disney um what was it called imagination station right so there's like 20 artists or something you know on the show and then all their crew so, I was cooking for like a whack of people. It was, I think it was like 40 something meals each meal. And I was cooking three of them and by myself. <laughs> again, on And this was one of those ones where it really was on camp burners. Oh, wow. You know, really? and, and crock pots.
1: Like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 40 yeah, for meals. Crew oh, and, my God. Oh for my crew God.
2: And, uh, the crew and also the entertainment people themselves.
1: That's and where Meryl Street th- was, right? I think. Merrill Street? Uh,
2: nope. Meryl Streep was in Vancouver doing a movie with James Woods. That's where I cooked for her.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Sorry.
2: That was a different gig. That was one of my that was one of my really early ones. But this one was not as early. And um, but you asked me about strange requests. Wasn't so much strange requests, but my God, every dietary concern. I mean, it it just the email that came back to me just went on and on. Like, you know, I had a like People were allergic to shapes, for God's sake. You know, <laughs> like, we'll eat spaghetti. will eat spaghetti, but we'll not eat penne. Like, oh my god, are allergic to a shape? Really? Is that a thing now? I don't know. But you know, know, there's like funny. gluten-free, and I don't like Asian, and blah blah blah. You you name it. Like it was just, it made my eyes burn. So, so yeah. I, I think what I decided to do was just make like 200 different things. Because surely to God, someone could, you know, everybody could eat one of them. Like I just made so much variety of food, uh, you know, brought chafing dishes and set it up like a huge buffet because, well, I don't know, whatever. It was just survival because I'd I'd read it and by the time I got to the end of it, I completely forgot what was in the beginning of it and have to read it again. Like again, my eyes were bleeding. It was horrible. (laughs) <laughs> oh. So that's the strangest one. I'm sure there was other weird stuff, but that yeah. one was, you know, from a chef's perspective, you know, virtually impossible to, to win. Oh, yeah. So, oh. I mean, I mean, sometimes you go home from these gigs and I think, wow, you know, that, I, this really went well. I'm really proud or pleased, you know, how much they enjoyed my food. And sometimes you don't get that vibe. Sometimes you walk away from the gig and think, well, you know, I pulled it off. Um, everybody everybody yeah. ate you know <laughs> right and, and nobody and nobody died so yay I wish, you know yes yeah. that's, that's the best you can get
1: <laughs> oh I, I almost feel great. like uh like in in 20 years I feel sorry for the chefs of long-term care homes um 20 no 30 years oh my gosh just with all of the like, like you said I mean this is it sounds like it was a younger um you know, the Imagination yeah. Station, like a younger crew. It, it, it like was. Stars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they carry that on into their older years, which I'm sure people will, it's just yes. an interesting, we're going to see some really challenging uh, dietary. Dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh my gosh.
2: Well, I think that's one of the beautiful things about working with the people that I get to work for now is that this is a generation of please and thank you mm. and, um, Oh, you know, you're so kind and, mm-hmm. you know, we really enjoyed dinner tonight. Thank you so much. Like mm-hmm. this is, this, this is the last generation or hopefully my generation,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: you know, is going to hang in there too, but we're, we're not going to see that coming up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, mm-hmm. the,
1: different, yeah,
2: yeah. This, it's not the polite, courteous, you know, mm-hmm. as hard as we tried as parents, yeah. from what I'm seeing out there, I don't think it worked. Uh,
1: Wow, that's so interesting.
2: Again, the people that I serve are so graceful yes. and, gra- and gracious so and, yeah, yeah totally. very lucky.
1: Oh that's so awesome. So if you were um, like this is getting back to kind of for you like so mm-hmm. we get to know your own taste what uh, what are your most favorite foods like if you were going to a potluck, what would you make to share?
2: Oh right hmm. well again, I think it' become I think it's maybe seasonal for me. Yes. So it would depend on time of year, right? But I really enjoy seafood chowders. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was again. So I, I talked about training in Toronto and going to New York, and then I got to do right from New York. I got to do dos, a, a dosage in Paris for four months. Nice. Uh, which, PS, they hated me because my last name is Debien and I don't speak a word of French. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So they they were not kind. In any stretch of your imagination, you could not find kind in in what I went through there. But I worked at a very traditional high-end French restaurant kitchen, mostly peeling potatoes, but it doesn't matter. I got eyes and ears, so I watched. And on the little bit of time off that they did give me, I found I had just enough time sort of to run to this little bistro where they made seafood chowder. And I didn't know it. I just sat down, again, hardly spoke any French, Look, uh, looked at the menu, looked confused, and they brought me a bowl of seafood chowder. Perhaps I ordered that. <laughs> I don't know. But it was the best thing I'd ever put in my mouth. Like I never wow. tasted anything like this. Amazing. And so I went every day, and they started that little place. It was a mom and pop joint. I didn't tell them my last name was Debian, so they didn't know I was French and didn't speak it. So they didn't hate me. Uh, I was I was English, so they hated me a little bit, but not a ton. <laughs> so they actually, between what I could decipher from eating it, and I complimented it every day, like you know, they they knew I loved it. Um, mm. They gave me the recipe. Oh, really? So I took that. Yeah. So I took that wow. recipe back to Canada, oh. and I've cooked it, you know, uh, lots of different places, and it's. I not that I care about awards, but. You know, every now and again, you like to test your metal, And so I'll enter into a contest, you know, competition or whatever. It wins every time as uh, Tom, Tom Cochran and Red Ryder. Well, yeah. And I stole the recipe, let's be honest. So I'm not bragging. It's just, <laughs> it, I got, I got lucky, um, but I cooked it for Tom Cochran and Red Ryder. And honestly, he just came back. Like, I don't know how many times, like just could not get over it. Like it was bowl after bowl after bowl and said it was the best. He's eaten, you know, he's an East coaster. Yeah, and yeah. he's eating chowder and everywhere he goes. Nice. It really is just a delicious recipe. So probably, if you invite me to your place, I'm going to make seafood chowder. Ooh, sounds like okay. a winner. Okay, that sounds delicious. Yeah.
0: No doubt. It sounds one.
1: almost like there's an element of maybe it was a comfort food for you because you were working so it hard was. in the back of the kitchen and it was you weren't feeling the love and you weren't feeling <laughs> Oh, uh, not at all. No, and then you <laughs> went and you ate. No, and I, you had, I was you sleeping had a break with one and, eye open. And, yeah. Yeah, sneaky <laughs> yeah. with one eye open.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I was not feeling loved or cared for in any stretch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you had that seafood chowder, and it just was like comfort. It was so tasty, and then mm-hmm. now when you have it, it brings you back to that feeling of, oh, like finally I can have absolutely tastes and just like yeah, oh my god,
2: <laughs> yeah. And and I have to say, I wasn't particularly familiar with this kind of that kind of seafood chowder when i ordered it again i think i ordered it by mistake i can't remember but it wasn't even like i thought i was ordering comfort food but this this it was just so you know just filled you up it like was perfect culinary heaven for yeah. 20 minutes culinary nice.
1: heaven i love it that's a mm. that's a good title for something Like a little that's recipe so... book there
0: yeah you go. Or your kitchen. Was a seafood
1: chowder, You should get
0: a sign made for your kitchen, John. I agree. Yeah, yeah, culinary you go.
1: heaven. Good. Culinary I heaven. I might
2: just do that.
0: Maybe that not is... with the older people, though. I don't know if that word is... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah, that's true. They might be like, right. oh, take maybe... Take your time. Maybe not. Yeah,
2: take your time. <laughs> yeah. No rush.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> is the seafood... Um, is it like, is there salmon in it? Like, is it pink?
2: Uh, it's... So, it starts with a... Um, the Sander's clams. trying to
0: steal your recipe, by
2: the way. Yeah, no, listen, I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> okay. <was>
0: it's,
2: a- <laughs> it's, it starts with a clam stock. So basically, you know, bacon, onions, you know, sear it all up, get it cooked where you mm. want it. Um, mm. Then add a ton of butter. Um, mm. Then add all the mirepoix and potatoes and cream. And tarragon is the magic ingredient. There's lots oh, of garlic in okay. tarragon. And then you basically simmer that off till it gets to the texture that you want. And then you Mm -hmm. cool it right down. You cool it down as quickly as you can. No fish in it other than the clam stock. And Mm -hmm. then when I decide to serve it, I just reach into the fridge. And with all the raw fish I can get my hands on, so mussels, Mm -hmm. clams, prawns, salmon, you know, black Mm -hmm. cod if there's some, all live or at least raw. Yep. And then I bring the stock up to simmer again, and I put the raw fish into the stock so it actually poaches in the cream and the garlic and the bacon and the blah, blah, all together. And you put the fish in in the order of, you know, sort of doneness. So salmon is going to cook, boom, like that. Prawns are going to cook, boom, like that. I generally put the mussels in first because when they open, then you know they're cooked. Mm. And you can throw the salmon and the prawns in right after that and they'll cook within two minutes kind of deal, you know, or something like that. So you, the, the mussels will still be nice and tender and oh. uh, and the other fish will be cooked the way it's supposed to be, not boiled to, you right. know, a lot of chowders. The fish is so overcooked.
0: Yeah. Because it sits there so,
2: all So that's day. the trick.
0: Find, just
2: find a good stock that you like to make and make that the base, the stock. And then before you serve it, just put in whatever raw fish you can get your hands on oh, and poach it in the cream. Smart. Poach it in the stock.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. That's – like yeah. your dad, Rob – Your uh, Rob's dad is in his 90s. And he – every time they go out to a restaurant, that's – he always gets seafood chowder. And I oh, bet that it sounds yeah. like this one would be like his – like the best – The one. The one. Ever. The one, yeah. The one, yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. incredible. Well, I'm going
2: to – it, it certainly is the one for me and it's the one that, you know, like I say, I've, I've got a lot of undeserved rewards for it because yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my recipe. Um, <laughs> but I'll write it down. I'll write it down for you. And you can, it's so simple to do. It's, you know, like a lot of good cooking is just a bit of patience, right? Sure. Yeah. And yeah. you can actually make that stock and put it in a, you know, Tupperware container and stick it in your freezer oh. in, in, or, or in a Ziploc freezer bag in the right. portion size that you want and then when you get to see your dad like um you know go to the grocery store and pick up some prawns and some salmon and some mussels or yeah. whatever and uh put the pot on when he gets there and throw the fish in he'll you'll be delighted oh my nice God,
1: sounds so amazing the tarragon was fresh or was it dried
2: uh, i'm used to dried because i can yeah. always get it and yes. you i've used i've used fresh because when my last restaurant i had a garden so i could grow tarragon and it was you know readily available most of the year i could dry it once it came to end of season right so uh, but dried works just fine and you'll find your balance of like i put the tarragon in with the butter because i like Mm. to sort of infuse the tarragon into the butter because Mm. everything hits the butter and that flavor melds more evenly that way so I don't just add it to the stock at the end kind of deal I I put it right pretty early in the game
0: Mm, Uh, good to know wow
2: yeah and look at that you just find your balance so you just find the amount you like because if you taste it and you say oh that's not really enough tarragon if it's it's too much oh well you screwed up (laughs) so put less (laughs) in than you think you might need but if it's not enough then you can add you know to the cream base like at the end after you've tasted and say you can add a little more tarragon that's not going to hurt anything
1: nice Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is so amazing. That sounds delicious. Oh my gosh. This has been such a great interview. It's like, Rob, did I tell you? What did I tell you? (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, she said you were a storyteller, John, and that's, uh, that's no lie. There's some, uh, some, some great little uh, nuggets in there. That's amazing. And appreciate you sharing that with us.
2: Okay. We'll see if you can pop that down to a 20, you know, a 10 minute interview. Good yeah. luck to you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's awesome. We'll oh no, I don't do. want to
1: shorten this. This is like, I want to, I definitely, I think uh, especially like, you know, if you do ever make that cookbook, it would be great to get you back on the show and you're, uh, you know, oh, releasing nice. it to the world. And yeah, but anyways, I mean, it would be great to get you back on just cause there's so many more questions and like, Oh, just even just the way, just the interaction of, um, with the elderly people that you're cooking for, I just love listening to you talk about that because it's, there's just so much love and caring in that, you know, in that relationship. And I think it's Mm. so important because, you know, in, in long-term care, the food is one of their only pleasures in life.
2: they look forward to it all day you're right
1: yes yes
2: and honestly the more you give the more you get you know that john lennon said it Mm -hmm. a little better than that but (laughs) you know the gift the real the gift the greatest gift to yourself is to be able to give love it absolutely is i think when you do somebody a favor okay you know you did them a favor look at you aren't you amazing but the truth is you really benefit you know, when I can make, not just me, anybody, this isn't about me. When you make mm-hmm. someone smile, make someone happy, take somebody's pain away a little bit, something like that, it's really a gift you give yourself. The way you Absolutely. feel afterwards, you can't make that. You can't, you can't buy no other that. There's no way to get th- that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, again, selfishly, I allow myself to enjoy all the pleasures of recognizing both the responsibility and the privilege of what I do.
0: Yeah, it's a and win-win.
2: I, and I'm... Yeah. yeah it just, just is, you know, I don't yeah. make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> can't avoid help feeling good when you do something like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, that's amazing. No, absolutely. <clears throat> oh, well, I will let you get back to your day off and with your family there. And uh, okay. it was such a pleasure to interview you and oh, I look forward to seeing you again uh, soon in the kitchen.
2: Okay. And I'll write down that <laughs> recipe for you
1: would love it. Okay. Thanks so okay. much, John. Great talking you. That was a pleasure.
2: You.
0: Thank you, Rob. <laughs> thanks, John. Appreciate you coming out today. Happy to do it. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. I think that was probably one of my favorite interviews. I mean, we've had a lot of amazing guests, but that just the stories that John had and how it evolved into uh, shaping kind of how he, um, approaches his, his cooking now and his philosophy. It's, it's really interesting. I just thought that was, yeah, I found it really, really interesting talking to him.
1: Yeah. Like cooking for the stars to caring for the elderly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who, who would have thought that there's any relationship between those two, but you know, after listening to this, you're like, yeah, I can totally see how that, uh, How that affected his, like I said, his philosophy of of cooking now.
1: Yeah. And just like him recognizing his unique role that he plays in, you know, cooking for the stars and being part of that and almost being like a mom and then cooking (laughs) for the elderly and, you know, reflecting back about their... Old memories of different foods that they had with their grandma, and all those smells and flavors that they get to experience when he's cooking right near them, where they're in there doing their activities or in the um, family room there. And it's just, you know, the kitchen's right there, and he's cooking. So it's really cool the way they get to interact and be part of the food experience in the care home.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's neat that he he's recognized the nurturing element of, of cooking and how food triggers emotions with people. Yeah, it's really neat. because like he said, I mean, it's not just about giving you food and, and stroking your ego as a chef. It's, you know, there's so much more involved or there can be if if like in John's case, he's recognized the power and um yeah, just it's it's an experience. Yeah. Like a sacred experience. I think you said in the intro. Yeah. Use the word sacred. And it really is, you know, the eating experience and being part of that is uh yeah, it's a really special thing to share.
1: And it's part of the quality of life, just like that comfort of food and the nourishing aspect. And I think the take-home message I got from this interview, other than the amazing stories and all the images I have in my mind of the stories he told, was just the patience that you have around people when you're preparing food for them. I mean, it can get pretty frantic or exciting in a kitchen or urgent, you know, when things are cooking at different paces. But if you have patience and kind of just, um, you know, he's so resilient too in terms of flexibility and and grace and being a MacGyver, um, you know, kind of thinking on his feet in terms of, you know, uh, trying to cook a big meal and having a lot of distractions. And, and I think that plays into the perfect role he has in this home that he's cooking right in the kitchen where the elderly people are. And it's all part of it. I mean, his experience uh, on the road, traveling with the bands and Having to set up kitchens on loading docks I think it all plays into how well he cooks now and and his um, flexibility and patience
0: yeah absolutely yeah you nailed it and our interview with John actually was quite a bit longer than what we've uh, what we've put out here so we're going to save some of those stories uh, for another episode that we'll share there's just. So many good stories. And and I think he only shared a few with us, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love it if he put that book out, it Mm -hmm. would be so interesting, Mm -hmm. you know, just the stories and the behind the scenes. And yeah, I think it'd be a a really neat, a really neat read.
1: Yeah. And there was so many good stories that we've saved some for future episodes to, uh, offer people. So, yeah, it was uh, a wonderful interview, and I hope people get a lot out of this. And thank you so much, John, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And we will uh, include some information about John. He's not he he doesn't have a website or anything like that, but we'll we'll try to include some information in the show notes about uh, just a little bit more about him and uh, and that sort of thing. So check on our Facebook page, uh, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we'll all have links there to this show as well, and like I said, some information about John
1: and the nutrition nuggets this week. We are going to do giving at Christmas and what types of non-perishable food items and other gifts you can give uh, for the food bank. to yeah, give back to your community.
0: A great idea, because I think there's a lot of uh, probably the wrong foods that people are getting rid of and. Uh, I know when they come knocking on the door, I just grab the first thing that I can. And sometimes it's like not the best idea for uh, where it ends up. So we'll give you some tips on what you can do in that regard.
1: And then we have some more interviews coming up. Really amazing, um, incredible people to look forward to.
0: Don't forget to rate and review the show. We always appreciate that. We do have a few new reviews rolling in. So thank you for the people that wrote those. And don't forget to check out our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can leave reviews there as well. You can contact us through there, message us, uh, leave comments, all that sort of stuff is is all great. You can also reach us through our email. That is mywifetherd at gmail.com. Or you can connect with us through our website at mywifethedietitian.com. I think that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you all on Wednesday. Thanks for joining us today on My Wife the Dietitian. If you like what you heard, don't be shy. Leave us a comment or review and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to hear more, hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on our social media pages for updates, episode trailers, and other odds and ends. For more info and links on what we discussed on today's episode, check the show notes. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun-filled episode.